Hello and welcome to the Retire Want Show. We are finally live. This is episode one and we are live. Well, actually, we're live. You're not live, but we're, oh, live. we're live. We're live doing it. So uh, welcome to the Retire Want Show. I'm your host, Jonathan Rankin, and I am joined by my lovely host. Hi, I'm Melissa Rankin. Thank you for joining us. This is a retirement podcast that is designed for retirement focused investors, typically over the age of 50. And our whole goal is to help you get to retirement, but not just that. That's not good enough. We want to help keep you retired. And ease your mind while going through retirement. Exactly. So we, you know, this is a conversational format where we're going to go through a number of different topics. And uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to listen to our intro show on Apple or Spotify on just the audio portion, uh, feel free to check that out. This is our first video that we're doing for the series. And I'm excited to be here. I feel like we need, uh, I feel like we need the rock to introduce us like he did the Super Bowl. Oh yeah. I mean, those arms alone. Those things were like as big as my waist. At least. At least, least, exactly. So as you could tell, this is going to be a little bit different than your traditional uh, retirement podcast. My goal as I, Melissa and I were warming up for this, I I told her, I said, we need to leave our NPR voices at home. Which I was like, what? Hello. I've only got one, but sure. Hello and welcome to the Retirement Once Show. No, that's not what we're doing. I don't know if I, no, I guess I can. (laughs) Look. We realize that retirement should be fun. You know, we've always said, look, you're retiring, you're not expiring. So the last thing we want to do is talk to you in a boring manner. We want to have fun while doing this because retirement should be fun. And, you know, I think retire- you worked hard to get there. You should enjoy it. Absolutely. And retirement planning shouldn't be stressful. So our goal is to really, ha- you know, have fun as we're going through, you know, these, uh, these different topics and, you know, we're going to share a lot about who we are, you know, and our, our family. We've got two kids. You know, they are, they are crazy. They are crazy. They are three and four. So we've got our hands full to say the least, but you'll probably hear about them from time to time as well. That's right. Our son's name is Harvey. He is the oldest. He is going to be five in March. And our daughter, Emmy, her name's Emerson, but we call her Emmy. She is three. She'll be four in July. So you'll probably hear a lot about them over time. Uh, just a little bit of background on myself. You know, I'm the founder and CEO of Theorem Wealth Management. It's our wealth management firm that uh, works with investors that are focused on retirement. And I've been in the business for about 15 years. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to, to be here, excited to do this podcast, excited to, to join my other half on this venture. So welcome. Yeah, so you get to see some marriage dynamics and retirement planning all in one. So, you know, <laughs> congratulations. This is going to be a good time. But uh, all right. So where are we, where are we kicking off episode one? So I think something that we need to talk about that, I mean, it it seems relevant is the 60-40 portfolio. And I know that sounds like a, okay, what? So before we get into what that, I mean, is it still relevant, what that entails, what is the 60-40 portfolio? So I think that's a great place to start. The 60-40 portfolio has been really the standard for asset allocation for retirement investors for a long time. There's been a lot of studies going back decades that have shown the risk return aspect of stocks to bonds being a proper mix of 60% stocks, 40% bonds gave you the best risk adjusted returns. And so that's why a 60, 40 portfolio was always looked at as kind of the standard for how you should invest in retirement. Okay. Didn't I read though? I thought there was, there was, there was an article in the advisor perspectives about how it had just seen its worst um, showing since March of 2020. Yeah, it, a lot of people are saying that, you know, they, they think the 60-40 the portfolio is dead. There's a lot of headlines out there about that. So 
I think that's I, I think that's what the article was talking about. I had a really rough month in uh, in January. So if it's dead, what should we what should we advise people to to kind of be considering in place of it? So let's take a second. I don't think it's dead. I, I think it. You know, the way I look at it is that it made you look at it like the first time Harvey looked at us trying to send us on timeout. <laughs> like when he looked at me, hey, daddy, it, you go on timeout. And you just looked at him kind of sideways like, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's the, not how it works. That, that's how the 60-40 portfolio made you look in, you know, in month like January where you go, wait a minute, it's not supposed to do this. I think what's going on is that, you know, with how high valuations are right now in stocks, and obviously they've come down a little bit with this pullback we've seen. But also with interest rates, you know, at extreme lows and they're starting to rise as, you know, the discussion with the Fed about combating inflation is happening. You're seeing pressures on both sides. And I think people are looking at the long term, you know, growth opportunity of the 60-40 portfolio. And that's what's coming into question. You know, for example, even the income you're getting on a 60-40 portfolio is a lot less than what you've gotten historically. Now it's, you know, 2% or even less than that, where in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, it was 5% it was above. Well above, yeah. yeah. Average, so. I think, six, six and a half. Yeah. So it was, uh, now we're, we're in this pace where, you know, even large companies like BlackRock, you know, are coming out with forecasts of the 60-40 portfolio. And they're talking about, you know, for the foreseeable future, it delivering substandard, you know, returns, even in that 4 to 5% range, you know, whereas historically it's been a lot higher than, you know, 4.5%. Yeah, I mean, two percent doesn't sound ideal to anybody. No, no, and that's just and that's just the income you're you're getting on the portfolio itself, not necessarily the growth. So you think for an income focused investor, if they've just been you know if you retired in the late '90s and you were getting five percent just income yield, that was you know that made retirement By a lot easier. And forgetting it, yeah, essentially. And now to get that income, it's a lot more challenging. Okay, so with that in mind, what what should average Joe investor consider what are some alternatives average joe or jane will uh you know we're going to be gender neutral <laughs> on this podcast here. <laughs> so i i think the you know what we're seeing now are you know the new the new gold standard is starting to add alternative investments into the mix things like private equity or hedge funds or even real estate investment trusts just alternative investments that you know are are not your traditional stock and bonds and in fact jp morgan had their guide to alternatives and they actually talked about 30% of the allocation should go into that alternative sleeve because that gives you, you know, an uncorrelated asset typically to traditional stocks and bonds. Uh, it allows for a higher income yield if you're looking at real estate investment trusts. There's just a lot of different benefits to utilizing alternative investments. Now, that's not saying it's for everybody, but that's what they're suggesting in their paper. Okay, so with that in mind, what about people who, for example, I know a lot of people have their 401ks and they have um, probably limited options on what they can actually purchase or hold in there. What would you say for somebody like that? I think that's going to, that is a very big concern moving forward is that the limitations in 401ks don't have things like alternatives. I know some 401k plans out there have six or seven choices and that's it. And so I think part of that is looking at your plan specifically, figuring out what does, what exposure, if any, does your plan have to, you know, an alternative asset class, but then also just doing a financial plan to make sure that 
alternatives fit what you're looking to do from an investment standpoint? Do they, does an alternative investment portfolio even fit your retirement strategy? Does it make sense for you? Exactly. Because if it does, and you're looking for that, some plans have the ability to do an in-service rollover or, and roll money into an IRA where you might be able to get exposure you know, outside of your 401k. So that a little bit more flexibility than absolutely. Like plan administrator might allow or something like that. Exactly. Now there, there might be more costs than your, your traditional 401k, but getting that exposure and having that, you know, that offset some of the, the costs might be a benefit. So I think that's an option for 401k investors. But I do think that there's going to be over time, some sort of change to 401k investments where they, they've got to, allow for alternative asset classes within those plans. Now, I know some of the target date funds that are out there have a small allocation to, you know, some alternatives, but it's, those are few and far between, and it's not as common as what, you know, I think we are going to need to see moving forward. So the, the moral of the story there is to, to know what you're holding and see what's right for you. So maybe just reevaluate. Reevaluate, but make sure that especially as we're seeing volatility right now and, you know, I think looking at your asset allocation today, because it's probably gotten out of whack over the past couple of years. Let's just say that, you know, two years ago you were 60, 40 and the market had two year, two great years. And so now you look at your portfolio and you're taking on 70 or, you know, you know, 80% risk in stocks, as opposed to the 60% that you were initially allocating yourself. So now that you have more risk in your portfolio and you're seeing more volatility, I think really reevaluating where you allocated today, because a lot of 401k investors, it's, I'm going to get a quarterly statement, quarterly statement, or I'm just going to set it, forget it. I'm not going to check it that often. So I think that's part of it. Um, I also think making sure you have a very comprehensive retirement plan. We talk about that a lot and you're going to hear about that a lot on this show where we really believe in financial planning and you know, putting together a very detailed financial plan where you're putting asset classes in there to forecast, should you have that in your portfolio? You know, your investments and your retirement plan should work together. It's not your retirement plan over here and your investment strategy here. You know, they should work together in unison. Exactly. Your retirement plan should dictate your investment strategy. Your investment performance shouldn't necessarily dictate your retirement. Okay. So speaking of your retirement plan, kind of with that in mind, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, we got a lot of questions about, um, should your home be part of your retirement plan? Since we're talking about kind of the holistic picture, if you will, how does that fit in? Yeah, we've, I think we've gotten that question going back since 2009, you know, especially after the financial crisis and the housing crisis. It's a valid crisis. question. It's, it is a valid question. I, I think that to really incorporate the equity that you have in your home, especially after the past couple of years where home values have gone up you know, dramatically. Astronomically. Yeah. And so <laughs> I think, you know, before you factor that equity into your retirement plan, I really think you need to figure out what is your plan for that house? What is your plan? Are you, do you plan to stay in that house? Do you plan to move, downsize? You know, what are you really looking to do? Because if you're just looking to stay in the home and you don't plan on ever selling or downsizing, I don't think it's really appropriate to add that into a retirement plan. You can add it into your net worth statement, of course, but to base your entire retirement success on the equity in your home, most people aren't going to necessarily tap into that equity. And when you do, it's you 
Are you taking out a, a you're taking out a loan to do that, or a reverse mortgage, or things that used to be popular that maybe aren't so relevant anymore? Exactly. So you're now you have this inflated sense of you know retirement success if you add it in there and you say, well, you know, I bought my home and it was three hundred thousand when I bought it. It's now worth seven hundred. I've got four hundred thousand dollars of equity. That's going to bump my retirement success up quite a bit. Well wait a minute, if you're staying in the home forever, you're not really tapping into that. And I think by adding in a home to a retirement plan that you don't ever plan to move out of, it really can create a false sense of retirement success. So I think- So on the converse of that though, if you are planning to downsize or, or something like that or sell it, then you can consider it in part of your retirement. But if not, you're saying stay away from kind of adding that in. Absolutely. If you're planning on downsizing or, you know, just selling it and renting or, you know, anything, any changes with that property, then yeah, you can add that in there. And, you know, I think adding and modeling that in your retirement plan as well, because if you downsize, there's going to be costs associated with the next place. Um, So all the equity you have in your home might go towards purchasing another place, even though it's going to be cheaper. So you'll have some difference there. So I think making sure that you would especially be true with interest rates rising. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, with interest rates rising, how many people are willing to get rid of a, a mortgage that they've got a two or two and a half percent loan on to go out and get a place that they've got a three or 4% loan on. So I think that speaks too to the, the housing market in general right now. I mean, the fact that, that there's such a limited supply. I mean, you were telling me the numbers just the other day of the, the homes that are actually for sale right now. What was it? I think it was uh, like 270 or 271,000 total U.S. total homes, single family homes in the U.S. right now, which amazing. You know, it makes us uh, makes me think, I don't think we're ever going to buy another place. <laughs> we're, we're staying where we're at. So I was just going to say, should we just go out and sell our house? What do, what do we do? No, we're, we're I don't. I don't think you're going to, you know, people should make a, you know, a big major change just based on, you know, the equity they have in their home. I think it really comes down to what is your lifestyle? What do you want to do with that property when you're thinking about adding that into, you know, your retirement plan? And that's something you should probably consider at any stage of of where you're at, even if you're younger and not necessarily headed right toward retirement in the immediate future, but something that you should definitely consider as you're going through looking at your other investments and retirements. Exactly. So on that same note, something that we think about often, you and I talk about, we get questions about, are we going to see another crash? Are we on our way? Yeah. With housing values, you know, at near all, you know, at all time highs and the limited supply, that question comes up quite a bit, especially with people who have maybe one, you know, a home and a vacation home as well. You know, they've got all this equity. And I think the worry there is, is this going to fall down like it did in 2006, 2007, 2008? And, you know, to that, I, I don't think we're going to see another crash like that. You know, I think, I think that really gave people a lot of PTSD going through that <laughs> because it's always been about, you know, when's the next crash coming, whether it's in housing or stocks. And now that, you know, housing values are going up, it's reminiscent of what we saw in 2006. But I also think that now is a little bit different. And I think there's a lot of reasons too why that is different. So do you think it's more stable? I, I think that prices, you know, I read a quote from a Fannie Mae economist that said, you know, he believes that prices are not going to, they're not going to go down, but they're not going to appreciate as fast as they have been. I think, you know, okay. I know you had pointed me to that Ben Carlson article a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, uh, that it blew my mind. There was an article that he wrote where he actually, um, 
showed a letter that he had received and I was just dumbfounded because we had actually received a similar letter. It's basically a letter from a realtor that you get directly to your home and they say, I have a home buyer who's interested in a property similar to yours. I know that your house is not on the market. However, this well-qualified buyer is extremely interested. Would you be willing to sell? And if so, at what price? I mean, you get a letter like that and it's almost like a a free ticket, if you will. Yeah. I, I definitely showed it to you. It was like, what? What are we going to do with this? What does this mean? What is this? And I told her we're doing nothing with that. <laughs> so, But it was interesting to see that he had actually referenced something similar to that. So that seems like a very common, albeit strange, but an, a legitimate practice right now of trying to get people to sell. Well, and I th- absolutely. Because we talked about how, how low supply is right now, and that's going to continue to keep prices where they are and, and kind of avoid that big crash. That I think everybody is thinking might happen or a lot of people are thinking might happen because we do have a low supply. We also have, you know, low rates still comparative to years ago, or even, you know, I know a lot of our clients talk about mortgage rates in the eighties and the double digits. And so they, we also have more demand than we ever have. You know, now the millennial demand is really coming into play. You know, as we see, you know, everybody's heard about it. The millennial generation takes a little longer to do things. You know, whether Have kids get married, yeah, finish school. <laughs> the amount of clients that I've talked to over the years that talk about their boomerang child, you know, that graduates from college, comes right back home. And so now you think about it took them. All those people who were living with their parents, essentially the boomerang children, are now out looking for a home. Yeah. Now, well, now they've probably had more time to, they had time to stay at home, save money. They were working on getting their career, establishing their career. And now that they're probably in their late twenties, early thirties, they're starting to enter into that housing market. So you've got limited supply uh, and we're not building as fast as we were because of all the supply, you know, the supply chain constraints with COVID. So we're not building as fast as we were, we are. We've got, you know, qualified buyers. Much more qualified, I would think. I mean, they're they're hanging out at home in their parents' basement, <laughs> saving money, building good credit, you would hope. Well, and after, after 2008, I mean, financial institutions, they are very stringent on who's getting a loan nowadays. You're not going to find someone that's, you know, making $50,000 that's going to have three or four homes like you saw back in 2006. Right. They are just not giving homes away like they did then. And so you've got all these different forces that are pushing that, price range to stay kind of stable. And I don't know how long that's going to last, but I don't see the oversupply like we did. And I don't see the over leverage like we did in 2006, 2007. So I do think that we're going to see prices continue to stay elevated where they are. They'll probably continue to slowly, you know, go up and appreciate, but I don't see this major correction coming or major crash like we saw in 2006. Okay, so we're not expecting anything like that. So again, don't rush out and sell your home for no reason. No, <laughs> we are not saying that. No, you and and and, and Mel, you are not going to convince me to sell our home. I don't care. <laughs> you know, for, again, when we saw that letter, I was I was pretty impressed. I was like, well, I think they're asking us what what we want for it. Look for context. Uh, we have a hundred and three year old home that has, has the, its challenges. I call it charm. She calls it challenges. I don't. You know, I think that it's. It's what you get an older home for, you know, the creaks and the doors that, you know, sometimes open, sometimes they're stuck closed because the house is authentic to the time it was built. We'll say that. That is true. It was built in 1920. So, uh, older home and you know, it's, uh, I, I, you're not going to get me to sell it just yet. You know, maybe when, even with the letter, (laughs) I guess not (laughs) exactly. Even with the letter. So on that note, uh, this is, you know, I think we're coming to a close here just to kind of recap everything. 
I don't think the 60-40 portfolio is dead, do you? No. No, but I do think it makes you give that little uh-oh look. Well, when- I think you should reevaluate. I think you should take a look at your 401k, your portfolio, anything, and just kind of see where you're at. I think that's the the big takeaway on that is just know what you're holding. Yeah, and then for housing, what are we thinking there? For housing, I guess we're not selling our home. <laughs> and I don't think that we're going to see this major crash in the housing market. So, you know, when it comes to you adding that home into your retirement plan, though, I think it's really dependent on what your specific intentions are with that property and does it make sense to add it in there or not. If you haven't built out a comprehensive retirement plan, we'd be happy to help you with that. Absolutely. Uh, We're going to link to everything we talked about today in the description below. If you're watching this on YouTube or in the show notes on Apple or Spotify, Uh, you can head to retireonceshow.com and that'll link to everything as well. And we can also, you can also schedule some time for us to help you put together that retirement plan. But most importantly, what do we want them to do? Subscribe. Subscribe. I mean, and, you know, subscribe to YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Apple. wherever you're listening to this, subscribe. You know, I saw that the uh, the Super Bowl had 112 million viewers, so we're looking to surpass that. <laughs> and uh, so for the 113 million viewers, uh, lastly, if you, if any of you out there happen to know the Super Nanny, can you please direct her to our site? Because we actually need to talk to her about, you know. We need how, her help. We need her help on uh, on a three and four-year-old sleep regression there. So uh, for the 113 million people listening to this, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> at least that many. At least that many. Uh, do us a favor. Hit the subscribe button on YouTube, Spotify, uh, pod, or Apple Podcasts. Head to retireonceshow.com and get us in touch with the super nanny. Uh, I'm Jonathan Rankin. And I'm Melissa Rankin. Thank this, you for joining us. Thank you. 